electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Kingston here with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford. Today, the setup for Netflix. Tech's first big earnings test is tonight. We're going to tell you what to expect. Then more top picks from Meta. Why the street is suddenly so bullish on Mark Zuckerberg and company. Early Facebook investor Jim Breyer is going to join us from Davos. Later on, Tesla's tax problem with Twitter. Some reasons why a new CEO may be coming soon ahead of Musk's court date tomorrow, D. And Carl, it is an hour and a half into trade. Let's check out the markets. It could be another down day as concerns about Fed over-tightening start to take hold. Today's jobless claim signaling that this labor market is still resilient. Right now, you're seeing the Dow Industrials down about seven-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 down nine-tenths. And the Nasdaq Composite is the laggard here, down one and two-tenths of a percent. Um, we do still have a big afternoon, a big day ahead, though. We've got a speech from Fed Vice Chair Lil Brainerd. And Netflix earning John, we are going to be kicking off the tech season, which we know and love so well. Yeah, session lows, especially on the NASDAQ, though. Earnings where we begin today. Netflix, as you mentioned, the first big test for tech investors, bracing for a sharp, sharp drop in earnings. Dom Chu with us now uh, has a look at how the street is thinking about declining profits to the extent that there were any profits. So so there are going to be profits, but there will be declines and big ones to your point, John. So if you take a look at the ones that we focus on so often, which are the so-called former Fang names, they've been renamed Mang now that Meta Platforms has replaced Facebook. If you throw Microsoft in there as well, so maybe Mamang if you want to call it that <laughs> way, right? Those stocks are the ones in key because that's what's been driving the underperformance of the Nasdaq overall. Now, with regard to just how bad the earnings story could get, according to data from Refinitiv, the expectation for earnings decline this current quarter, this past quarter that's reporting versus the same period last year is very stark. If you look at Amazon, the earnings per share is expected to drop by a full 87 percent. Netflix, Dee just mentioned for earnings after the bell, down 66% from the same time last year. Meta platforms down 40%. Alphabet down 23%. And then Microsoft and Apple, the relative outperformers, if you will, with earnings per share dropping just a modest 7% year over year. But the issue now is with six of these big names that drive so much of the action for the overall market, just because stock performance and market-weighted indices is so important for these types of names, the earnings per share story becomes a huge question. And, John, that's the reason why, with meta platforms in particular and Facebook slash Facebook and then Netflix after the bell, those are among some of the biggest ones to watch. But Amazon down 87%, John. My big question, Dom, and I'm going to pretend that you have the answer here. Maybe you do. What does the investor care about from these companies now? It used to be for Netflix, it's all about adding members, right? Subs, yes. Yeah, but, but growth at all costs is no longer the thing. So are they going to care about monetization through ads? Are they going to care about moderating content spend but still being able to keep up uh, the, the membership? Same thing for, for Meta. I mean, Zuckerberg spending all this money on the Metaverse. I don't care how much the core business is turning around as long as he's 
burning cash? Well, so here's the thing. It's a combination of all of them and separately for each single one. Every company has got their own kind of uh, cross to bear, so to speak, for investors. Now, when it comes to companies like meta platforms, it is about what that spend's going to look like and whether it ultimately has any kind of a return on that investment on equity. So that's going to be big. We know that's a multi-year story, possibly a decade-long story. Netflix in particular, yes, it's still going to be about subs, but it's going to be about just how much that rising cost of content is going to affect those profits. And remember, with earnings growth starting to slow because revenue growth could be slowing there, that's going to be key. But, but what the interesting part about this is, it's not necessarily gloom and doom, fundamentally speaking, for big tech. We focus on the earnings story, but it might be the cost side of the equation that is driving mm -hmm. a lot of that. And the reason why I'm pointing this out, guys, is if you take a look at the revenue story, check that out right there. If you look at revenues, there's only two stocks among those six that are supposed to po post on a consensus basis revenue declines year over year. And that's mm -hmm. meta platforms down by six and a half and Apple down by a modest one and a half. Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft and Netflix all are supposed to expected post profit or rather revenue gains. So for, for, for the Q4, correct year over year. But what right. do they guide to? Right. And that's going to be a key thing is about whether or not. And, and by the way, this could be that kitchen sink quarter. Right. If you are a CEO of a large company in America, publicly traded, it, it's almost perhaps irresponsible to not talk about being more conservative because yeah. everybody else is being conservative right now, D. A, a few of the notes this morning mentioned that, Dom, that investors probably want to hear about cost cutting and better profitability versus top line revenue growth. Uh, you talked about some of the doom and gloom going into this earnings season, but, you know, it really does stand in contrast to what we've heard from tech CEOs out of Davos the last few days. I know a lot on the street are focusing in on Bill McDermott's comments uh, because, remember, it was last year that he sort of foreshadowed um, more bearishness ahead. But this time, what did he say? He said, not a chance we see a recession in IT spending. He's hiring. He says the cycle is nothing like 2008 or the dot-com bubble. Is that sort of different than what we've been hearing over the last few weeks heading into this season? Well, what's interesting is you're a bit of a maverick if you say that right now, right? Because what Wall Street is expecting and what investors are hearing so much about is this consensus that there could be a quote-unquote mild recession or mm -hmm. maybe at best a soft landing. So if you're the CEO of a company, this is the time to set expectations low because you can. Investors are waiting for this kind of thing to happen. So it's yeah. almost like you say, hey, you know, if I can set these things low, by the way, that gives me the license to overachieve at some point versus a low bar. If that's the case for these tech stocks, it could be a decent kind of off to the races approach here. But remember, there's not a big consensus view that technology is kind of what leads in case we get things going to the upside again. Although if it does, the market is just so highly levered to those big cap technology, media and telecom names that if there were a bull run for 2023, it would be those stocks that were underperformers that tend to do it again here. And this could be the catalyst, although no one's expecting it. That's not the consensus by any means. Yeah. Eagerly awaiting those numbers, Dom. Thanks. Yeah, you got it. Uh, meantime, tech's first big test is tonight. As we said, with Netflix, revenue growth is going to be in focus along with the new ad tier service. Julia Borston with a look at what to expect, Julia, especially given that we're not going to get some of the uh, guidance metrics that we're used to getting. 
That's right. Now, Netflix really wants to change investors' minds about what matters. So they're looking to shift focus away from subscriber growth, which is why they will no longer share forward guidance when it comes to subscribers. And they're going to be emphasizing profitability. But for now, investors will still be keeping an eye on that subscriber number. Investors are looking for growth to accelerate to about 4.5 million subscriber additions. That was the company's own guidance last quarter after Netflix lost subscribers in the first two quarters of 2022. Now, the other key thing to watch, revenue growth. It is expected to slow to 1.7%. That would be its lowest rate since the company went public after hitting another low in terms of revenue growth last quarter. Now, there are two key factors to watch for Netflix's future. One is commentary about its new ad-supported service and guidance on the impact of a crackdown on password sharing. That's the second one. Now, Wells Fargo writing, quote, we think password sharing is the bigger catalyst near term and we see it as upside to revenue growth estimates. Morgan Stanley raising its price target on Netflix today with an equal weight rating, saying that to get more bullish, they'd want to see evidence of improved return on content investment. So I'm sure we're going to be hearing about that as well. Guys? Yeah, a lot of reflections today, Julia, on the uh, the Q4 slate, uh, how strong a Wednesday was, for example. Uh, but a reminder that uh, Netflix sort of has this interesting habit of trading a lot better in the second half of the year than it does in the first half. Yeah, I mean, you always have to look at where the subscriber additions have been, and that's one reason they tend to do better in the second half of the year in terms of trading. But now they're saying don't focus on the subscriber additions. Focus on how much we are generating revenue. We're profitable. We've been at this longer than some of our counterparts. There's always a little bit of shade throwing at some of the other streamers and saying that we're more mature and we're more sort of sophisticated when it comes to understanding how to monetize our content. So I think there'll be some questions about that. And also maybe Glass Onion, you know, that was a film that was a huge hit in theaters, but it wasn't in theaters very long. And some questions about maybe some money was left on the table. How is that uh, going to be handled going forward? Right. Uh, great piece in The New Yorker uh, last couple of weeks about uh, Bella Boharia, mm -hmm. who's in charge of basically taking their global content and tailoring it for various markets. But there's always this lingering question, Julia, about ARPU, meaning that the U.S. consumer for Netflix is still so much more valuable than, say, a user in a developing country. And I guess that's the thing. ARPU, average revenue per user. I think the question is how many users are using Netflix and not paying for it? Um, so that gets to the password sharing issue. Um, but yeah, I think the thing for Netflix and for all of these streamers is it's not a one size fits all model in terms of how much they're charging and their, their margins around the world. The, the mar markets they've been in the longest, such as the U.S., Canada, tend to have higher average revenue per user. But I think an even more important question is what they're doing for all of these users who've been coasting on uh, uh, their friends and, and families, uh, their, uh, their passwords and getting free access. <laughs> I got a few yeah. of those, Julia. It's coming for them. You know, they're going to have to get their own accounts. Uh, for more on what to expect from Netflix's results after the bell, let's bring in Evercore ISI Senior Managing Director Mark Mahaney. He joins with a buy rating on the stock price target of $340. Uh, the stock is now at about 135 Mark. What are you expecting tonight? Do you think, as Julia was saying, the street is going to be focused on that profitability side versus, you know, net ads, which we typically look to and which, you know, the whisper number I'm hearing above $5 million. Uh, Deirdre, I think that whisper number is, is probably right. Um, I think that's kind of the over-under. The stock's had a big run, so you'd expect the, the, the estimate or the whisper to be higher 
than where the market is now or what the, what the company's guidance was. I, I know the company wants to take attention away from subscribers, but th that's what the market's still going to focus on. And even if they don't guide for subscribers for the March quarter, we're all going to back into it. So I, I'm not sure I can see the, the real logic behind no longer giving subscriber guidance. We're going to back into it. I think numbers are reasonably set up. This is my favorite stock for the year. I don't think that earnings are going to be a dramatic catalyst because I don't think we're going to get a lot of new news on their new um, advertising supported offering. But I think it's going to build up through the year. I think it's a real winner for the company. I like the shares here. Right. Let me correct myself, too. I'm sorry. The stock is at 320. So you're $20 above that in terms of your price target. Um, Mark, what do you want to hear from the company in terms of advertising, its ambitions there? What do you want to see so far, even though I know it's early stages? Well, let me let me work backwards first, uh, which is, um, you know, the two, Julia and Dom both talked about profitability. You know, Netflix has actually been a consistently profitable business. It's about 20 percent gap operating margins. Uh, I want to see that. And they, they're talking about margin pressure this quarter because of currency. Well, currency is now moving back nicely in advantage of a lot of these, uh, you know, mega cap uh, tech names with international exposure. So they should be able to sustain operating margins somewhat close to that 19 to 20 percent level and they'll guide for it for this next year so we want to see that they'll be able to maintain that and then free cash flow they're supposed to do about a billion in free cash flow this year they talked about substantially increasing that in 23 so what's the number i don't know if they'll guide to a specific number but two two to three billion then you really start getting some nice free cash flow you're starting to get some really nice free cash flow uh yield on this name and then on the ad supported business i'm sorry dear i think we're still going to be two or three quarters away i mean it's a tiny single-digit percentage of users that are on the ad-supported plan. I just think the win here is Netflix kind of painted itself into a premium price corner because they kept taking up the prices. This gets them out of that corner, and they can do it with unit economics that are actually accretive. Like, when do you ever see that in business history? You're cutting the price by 30%, but you're generating more revenue per user. It's a huge win for the business, and I think there's a ton of advertiser demand for inventory on Netflix. So I, I really think this is a really nice business pivot or business expansion extension for the company. It's why I like the stock here. That's interesting on pricing because, you know, HBO Max, uh, Mark, recently uh, added to their price by about a dollar. Are we in deflation or inflation on streaming prices? Because uh, the industry could easily make an argument that although we used to think of price hikes as earthquakes in the business, uh, that maybe there's a value proposition relative to the price of, say, a movie ticket. Well, I think there's a dramatic value proposition. So, you know, one of the reasons you want to be, I think you can be long Netflix here is, you know, regardless of what the economic environment really ends up being, it's clearly going to be somewhat soft this year and consumers are going to be looking for deals. And here you got Netflix at $6.99 a month. I think that's the cost of a grande latte for a whole month of access to that $17 billion worth of entertainment catalog that Netflix has. So it's a great deal that consumers will stick with during a recessionary environment, even though it's consumer discretionary spend, it's still a great deal. And then um, uh, yeah, I also what I find interesting is that we're now, you know, we've been talking about accelerating, increasing uh, streaming competition for the last three or four years. I think we're beyond that. When the CEO of Disney gets fired for operating losses in the streaming business, that's the first sign. It's a major one of industry rationalization. And that helps the incumbent, which is Netflix. They're sitting up there mm -hmm. with more subscribers than anybody else can. And the best business model because they've got the most scale. So I think it's a really nice industry moment for Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, Netflix called that out in its last shareholder letter, right? Our best guess is that our competitors are losing money, uh, losses of $10 billion or more. Mark, thanks always for your insights. Talk thanks, to you again soon.
Uh, advertising titan Martin Soro believes Meta is going to bounce back in a big way this year. This is the stock gets two more bullish calls on the street. Plus, we're going to talk with early Meta investor and former Facebook board member Jim Breyer, who joins us live from Davos. Tech Check is just getting started. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Well, it may have been a rough 2022 for Meta, but hopes are high for 2023. Stock is up 12% so far this year, and if ad mogul Martin Sarall is right, the rally's just getting started. Here's what he told Squawk Box Europe earlier today. Yeah, I think you'll see Meta come back extremely strongly this year on the back of Reels and Business Messenger. So to deal with the competition from TikTok and, and, and other short-form video competitors. The street agrees. For shops naming Meta as a top pick, Wolf and Wells Fargo both expecting digital ad growth to heat up this year. The latter expecting Reels to step up as AI recommendations drive engagement. And when compared to other big tech names like Amazon and Alphabet, both JP Morgan and Barclays prefer Meta. JPM saying an easing dollar benefits Meta the most, and Barclays expects high margin ad revenue to recover by the second half of this year. But Carl, this metaverse spending, I mean, I just, I wonder, does any of that matter as long as Facebook Meta keeps piling money, billions into the metaverse? Or is it really more about does does Zuckerberg pull back on that spending a little bit and let that uh, that ad benefit show? Is that what ends up mattering to investors? Yeah, I think that's always been sort of the creeping bull case, D, uh, even when they gave that uh, mm -hmm. operating expense guidance last year, that eventually uh, those numbers might be trimmed a little bit. It wouldn't be mm -hmm. as dramatic as it was uh, when it was first announced. And certainly we've seen some names in media that have performed best so far this year as those that took some of the tough medicine back in 2022. 
Yeah, and none of those four notes talking about the metaverse as sort of a driver as to why they're getting more bullish on the company. We got a note. Um, AI, though, increasingly important, right? Wells Fargo calling out one data point from Meta. A single AI advancement led to a 15 percent increase in Reels watch time. That's pretty incredible. And maybe it tells you that they are starting to compete a little better with TikTok. And, Carl, there's also the idea what happens to TikTok this year um, if it is indeed banned here in the U.S., and the Reels algorithm is getting better, Meta could be well positioned. Right. Another creeping bull case. Let's keep that conversation going with someone who knows a lot about hunting for value in names like Meta. Our Sarah Eisen joins us from Davos, Switzerland with Jim Breyer. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Carl and Deirdre and John. Good to see all of you. I am here with Jim Breyer, who happens to be an early Facebook investor, former board member, among many other tech names, one of the most well-known tech investors. Good to see you, as always. Sarah, it's so good to be back. Do, do you agree with Sir Martin there uh, about, about Meta's I do not. value? No. I do not. Uh, my, my view is over the next 24 months, there will be a big rebound. But they're going to be under a lot of pressure for the next 12 months. And they're not cutting costs fast enough, in my humble opinion. And what about the metaverse? The metaverse is years away. Uh, virtual reality is going to be a very big deal this Christmas holiday. Uh, it'll be Apple. It'll be Google. It'll be Sony, as well as Oculus. But watch for a big holiday in the world of virtual reality. I think that's, that's more bearish than I've heard you on Facebook. A, a name and a person you know very well, Mark Zuckerberg. You met him when how, he was how old? He was 20. Yeah. He, he was not yet able to go in and get a drink, so I ordered wine. <laughs> that was nice of you, but he illegal. ordered a soda. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. Um, is it because you're an investor in ByteDance, TikTok? I, I think ByteDance, ByteDance is brilliant right now in terms of their investments in artificial intelligence. Uh, they are clearly taking an enormous amount of share. Instagram being the other worldwide horizontal platform. I'm very optimistic long term on TikTok. You're not worried about it getting banned in the U.S.? Um, my, my hometown of Austin, Texas, yes. uh, at the University of Texas, they just banned TikTok from all devices. So for sure, the data questions and where the data resides is not going away. Right. Could, could be a challenge. I, I said a lot there. Maybe I'll just go to China then, because you have been, what, in that country almost 20 years? Absolutely. Early in Baidu, Tencent. Would, would you invest in Chinese tech stocks now, or companies? My expectation, based on everything I've heard here at Davos and from the 20 partners on the ground in China, the second half of this year will be a boom period, particularly for the pent-up technology companies and healthcare companies. We are aggressively investing in building out hospitals, nursing homes in China. In China. That is the single biggest Chinese investment theme for us. And what about the geopolitical headwind and the relationship with the U.S.? Isn't that a big risk? It's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> so just, so the so answer is still... it's absolutely a risk. But you're still investing, yes. clearly. What, what about in U.S. tech? You know, the meta conversation is part of a broader one about the tough time right now for stock prices, layoffs, cost cutting. Where, where do you think we are in this process? We have another 12 months. When, when I see truly extraordinary CEOs like Satya here and they're laying off 10,000 people, 
These are the best companies. So there's a lot more pain to come in terms of employment. You've seen a lot of cycles, the, <laughs> the boom bust, the tech bubble bursting, the great financial crisis. What, what do you think this period is like? What does it remind you of? This Anything? reminds me very much of 2000 to 2004. It took about 18 months for a lot of the froth in 2000 to come out. But I bought public shares in Amazon in 2001. And so we are going to see similar types of dynamics. 90% of the companies may very well see big market declines. However, there's a whole new generation of winners around AI and quantum and how it applies to medicine and healthcare. Yeah, we're going to talk about AI because I couldn't believe how much of a topic it was here in Davos this year. But just on the 10% of the companies that will come out of this do better on the other side. How do you find those values? And is now the time to get in? The, the values are still in the private markets far too high. I'm involved with a couple of major endowments. They have not marked down, mm. nor the managers of many private equity and venture capital firms, the way public stocks have been written down and carried by endowments. I think we have another 12 months of valuation correction in the private markets for later stage companies. What about the public markets? Some of your favorite names have been so beaten down, like NVIDIA. You buy, are you buying more? On these? weakness, I would buy NVIDIA forever. <laughs> Why they is that have your favorite? A, they have right now about a two and a half year lead over any semiconductor company in the world. Again, if we want to feel very optimistic about the U.S. position, we are so far ahead in semiconductor technologies than the rest of the world, the gap is only increasing. AI, I mean, that brings us to AI. And AI I know and that's quantum. what you're focused, AI and quantum. And it really was like Federal Reserve and the global economic outlook is topic number one, geopolitics and the war. And I would say AI Absolutely, and, and let me <laughs> offer this to you. <laughs> Shameless. For late plug. night. Quantum computing. Late night reading. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that, Quantum computing <laughs> and communications textbook. I promise you will, you will fall asleep after 15 minutes. <laughs> if, you, if you say so. <laughs> How do you invest around this theme? Who's leading? I have spun out 12 companies from our great medical schools. Memorial Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson, UCS, UCSF, Stanford, on and on. Starts with great intellectual property and very defined data. For example, in cancer, Memorial Sloan Kettering and MD Anderson are far and away the leaders in breast and prostate cancer. So typically, I'll license the technology, create a startup, have great medical professionals join, and my job is to recruit the brilliant ex-Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, 30-year-olds. You've got a lot of choice there now because yes. they're all laying off workers. It's easier to recruit than ever before from Apple, Microsoft, and other major companies. Chat GPT is another reason, I think, that people are talking about this right now. Do, do you see that as, I mean, $29 billion valuation, the Microsoft investment? Is that, is that a sign of what's to come? Is it, is it a sign that this is going mainstream? It, it's a sign to me of the froth. Oh. It's a strategic deal for Microsoft, and they are going to catch up quickly to Google and others. However, uh, I can't justify the valuation as a private investor. So there's already froth in AI. Absolutely. Which is why you probably see more correction coming in the 
private and public market in technology. Absolutely. Tim Breyer, thank you very much. It's good to talk to you, get your perspective on, on all of these names, public and private. Thank you. Sarah, a nice Davos always tradition. a pleasure. Yes. Happy Davos. Happy Davos. That's the grand finale for me. So there's Jim Breyer. Um, I'll, I'll send it back to you guys. Sarah, that was great. Uh, froth, Julia Borston, um, particularly when it comes to Meta, Jim Breyer saying, hey, Mark Zuckerberg isn't cutting costs fast enough over there. He doesn't have Sheryl Sandberg there to help him anymore. Sounds like he was saying what I was saying about the metaverse. Years away, really expensive. So what about these analyst calls? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting, though, because no one's really talking about the metaverse when it comes to meta right now. And you look at the challenges that meta faces this year. It's really about a contraction in the ad market in competition with the likes of TikTok, which uh, he's very bullish on. Jim Breyer is very bullish on um, and for good reason. I think a lot of that bullishness is an assumption that TikTok will work through um, some of these regulatory hurdles here in the U.S. I was reporting on some um, of the progress that they've made with Cepheus, um in the past several months earlier this week. But, John, I think it's it's interesting to think about how, you know, a rebound's coming. It's not going to be next year. That's what Jim Breyer said. But if you look ahead, it is going to be still many years before the metaverse piece of this um, really comes into play. So how can we so not, not very talk, good timing there? Julia, how can we not talk about the metaverse when Meta has said, we're going to 20 percent of our spending in 2023 is going to be on this thing where there's going to be zero return for years. Right. So many other technology companies of all sizes are saying got to tighten the belt. It's going to be a rough few years. We're going to have to be very careful about what we spend money on. It's going to have to deliver some return in the, the relatively uh, uh, near term meta bucking that. Yeah, bucking that, although saying, I, I have to note that Mark Zuckerberg did say in the last earnings call, and we'll see what he says this time around, that they are very focused on their core business, right? He wants to remind investors, yes, we have this long-term metaverse plan, but in the near term, we are trying to generate more revenue from the low-hanging fruit that we haven't touched yet. And that includes Messenger um, and some of these other uh, platforms. For instance, there's a lot of opportunity perhaps in WhatsApp. So yes, they're continuing to invest a lot of money in this long-term bet, but near term, they have to figure out how to make more money from the likes of Reels as they compete with TikTok. So obviously, companies need to make bets for the long term. The question, though, John, is not whether Meta should be investing for the long term, but whether they're spending too much on a technology where the demand is still so unproven. Right. Are they over earning on the ad stuff and spending it on, you know, to borrow from Nelson Peltz there? Uh, Julia, thanks. D. And guys, I just got to note, too, that he was actually pretty pessimistic than a lot of the tech CEOs we've seen out of Davos over the last week. I mentioned Bill McDermott earlier saying this is nothing like the dot-com bubble burst. And Jim actually said maybe it is. After the break, though, we're going to talk Elon Musk's potential Twitter tax problem, why being super hardcore may actually create a residency issue. Tech Check is back in two minutes. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Tech Check. Buying Twitter has brought a number of headaches to Elon Musk. 
not the least of which his tax bill. Robert Frank has more on that. Robert? Yeah, John, this is another potential cost of this deal that no one's really talked about. Remember, he left California and its high taxes about a year ago. Now California could come calling again, and that's because of Twitter. As the owner and the effective CEO of Twitter, Musk has been working at Twitter headquarters in San Francisco, as we know, but we don't know exactly how many days. California law states that any time spent in California providing services to a company could be subject to state tax. So if he was working at Twitter while also answering emails or calls as the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, any compensation for all three companies earned during those days could be subject to state taxes. The California Franchise Tax Board, that's kind of the IRS, could also argue because he's running a California-based company, he's not really a Texas tax resident. Even for non-residents, California requires any visits to California to be, quote, temporary and transitory. If he owns and runs a California company, tax authorities argue it's transitory. At stake is billions of dollars in potential taxes. Musk was, of course, awarded a $55 billion pay package back in 2018. That's earning out over time. And he sold $40 billion in Tesla stock over the past two years. No comment from Musk and no comment from the California Franchise Tax Board. But, John, they are very aggressive, especially when it comes to high-profile taxpayers. Maybe this is why Elon needs to worry about people tracking his jet. If the tax man tracks it and sees he's in California and tweeting about Tesla, bam, that's money. Robert, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Time now for a news update. Bertha Coombs has that for us. Bertha. Thanks very much, Don. Here's what's happening at this hour. New Mexico prosecutors will charge Alec Baldwin with involuntary manslaughter in the fatal shooting of a cinematographer on set of the movie Rust. Helena Hutchins died shortly after being shot during rehearsals. Baldwin was pointing a pistol at her when it went off. Climate activist Greta Thunberg is in Davos. She's urging leaders to halt all new oil and gas drilling and coal mining projects. She told the CNBC International panel that the energy industry will not slow down without a groundswell of opposition. As long as they can get away with it, they will continue to invest in fossil fuels. They will continue to, to throw people under the bus for their own gain. Um, so I believe that the changes we need right now needs to happen uh, on the outside. We need to build and create a critical mass of people who demand change. And Northern Trust is down about 9%, making it one of the biggest losers in the S&P 500 today. Fourth quarter earnings fell to just 71 cents. That's more than a dollar shy of estimates. Revenues were also well below street expectations. Carl, as a lot of their customers were moving things out of a number of funds, that's where things got difficult in that difficult market we saw last year. Yeah, certainly a, a difficult morning for some financials, Bertha. Thank you. Uh, still to come this hour, the Fed calls the shots. One fund manager predicting the U.S. experiences a shallow recession this year. He'll pick a few stocks he thinks can beat the broader market, and some of them might even be overseas. Let's head from Wall Street to Washington, where the other big story for the markets is playing out. The U.S. officially hitting its debt limit. Now the Treasury Department taking extraordinary measures to pay federal government bills. Elon Mui has the latest. Elon, we've seen this story, this movie before. What's happening right now? 
Yeah, Deirdre, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has now notified Congress that the nation is using extraordinary measures to keep paying its bills, and the deadline for default is fuzzy. She wrote, quote, the period of time that extraordinary measures may last is subject to considerable uncertainty, including the challenges of forecasting the payments and receipts of the U.S. government months into the future. I respectfully urge Congress to act promptly to protect the full faith and credit of the United States. But a compromise in Washington feels very far away. House Republicans have said that they won't agree to an increase in the debt limit without significant spending cuts. And in fact, they're discussing a bill that would let Treasury prioritize certain payments if the debt ceiling is not raised, an extremely controversial maneuver. In a statement today, House Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith called on President Biden to work with the GOP and address the debt ceiling in a way that imposes some fiscal sanity. But Democrats in the House and Senate are placing the blame back on Republicans, accusing them of playing political games. Senator Ron Wyden called debt prioritization in particular a harebrained idea that's doomed to fail. So, Deirdre, we're going to hear a lot mm -hmm. more of this rhetoric over the next few months before we can get to a resolution. Back yeah, to you. Yeah, a lot more creative accounting. Uh, we know you'll be following it all, Elon. Thank you. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq seven-day win streak, that came to a close yesterday. And it's building on those losses this morning. We're down another one and a quarter percent. Our next guest says the bearish earnings expectations that you've been hearing about, they actually aren't bearish enough. That's next. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Welcome back to Tech Check. The Nasdaq breaking its win streak, but still positive for the month. Our next guest expects another challenging year for investors, releasing his top 10 predictions for 2023, where he calls for a shallow recession in the United States, earnings falling short of expectations, and international names outperforming the U.S. for the second year in a row. Here to break it down, Crossmark Global Investment CIO Bob Dahl. Bob, great to have you back. Uh, fascinating uh, list of predictions for the year. I would say net net they are they most of them sort of uh, imply some caution on your part for the coming year, right? I think that's right. It's going to be a lot better year than last year, let's hope. Uh, but I think it's uh, going to be tough to make money uh, in the environment that calls for economic weakness, probably a mild recession and earnings estimates falling, Carl. So uh, we, we've got some slog uh, to get through here. And the perceptions change so fast. If you go back to mid-December, well, we'll probably have a recession. We come into the new year, well, I think a soft landing is likely. Now it seems like in the last few days, well, maybe it's a recession again. Things don't change in the real world as fast as we want them to change uh, in, the, in the financial markets. Right. A big part of your thesis uh, sort of pivots around whether or not the Fed is going to be insistent on a 2% inflation rate or whether they can get away with maybe something a little bit higher. Yeah, I think that's, that's a key one. We, our overall theme is the Fed calls the shots. And the reason we say that, Carl, is if they really insist on 2% inflation, they've got so much work left to do. Inflation's falling and it will continue to fall but I don't know how it gets to 2% with a lot more work on their part, which would ensure a recession, basically. On the other hand, if they back off and say, well, you know, maybe three's okay. And if we get into the threes, 3.6 or something like that, they might say, well, that's close enough to three. Maybe we'll just pause for a while. Then we might have the so-called soft landing. So the Fed's got a lot of uh, explaining and, more importantly, a lot of work to do. 
Right. But then you went into the problems of uh, Fed credibility, right? What it would do to the dollar if, in fact, they were to break that sort of unspoken promise. Do you see danger in that? Without question. I mean, look, 2%, we got spoiled with 2%, seemed like forever. Uh, there are a lot of structural parts of inflation, wages, rents, that sort of thing, that, as you know, are unlikely to allow the overall index to fall to two. So um, how they engineer two or talk about two, I think, uh, ha has a lot of explaining to do and could get them into some hot water sometime later this year. Right. I know you think that uh, energy, staples, financials do much better than, say, technology, uh, basically value beating growth. But how does energy outperform if, if, if real GDP is going to be historically weak? Well, that's a great question. Maybe it won't. Uh, but the discipline these companies have had compared to prior cycles when they've had so much cash flow is amazing. So we think if they continue with that discipline, they will continue to earn good money, have good free cash flow, and the stocks are still not expensive. Uh, uh, the sector is earning almost almost double what its weight is in the S&P 500. Uh, that's unusual and probably calls for more outperformance. Uh, it's a good way to set the table for the, the months ahead. Obviously, there's a ton uh, we don't know and uh, things we don't know we don't know, Bob, uh, but we'll be talking about it in the coming months. Good to see you again. Bob Dahl, thanks. All the best. All right, up next, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon doubles down on his crypto call. Fraud and pet rock are just a few of the terms being thrown around. Plus, check out the price of Bitcoin. The move fairly muted in today's session, but up 25% this year, still down 50% over the last 12 months. Tech Chat, we'll be right back. We pretty much always have some crypto conversation with you. I'm just curious because I don't think we've I, talked to you since. I think all that's been a waste of time. And why you guys waste any breath on us is totally beyond me. Because you just think the whole thing just is, is going to zero? Going to zero and it's fake? Bitcoin itself is a, is a hyped up fraud. It's a pet rock. Crypto itself that doesn't do anything is a pet rock. You're happy to Bitcoin. Own, yeah, you can own it all you want. I, I, I just, I'm just talking. I, I mean, it, there's a lot. It's, a, it's billions Listen, of guys, dollars. I don't care about Bitcoin. So right. we should just drop the subject. Well, he does care a little bit about blockchain chain, but maybe another conversation that, of course, was J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon doubling down on his pet rock analogy for crypto elsewhere in the space. Lender Genesis is preparing to file for bankruptcy. That is according to people familiar with the matter. Kate Rooney has more on the latest crypto firm to go under. Uh, Kate, this is an interesting one because really at the heart of institutional money in crypto. Yeah, really. It was at one point. It seems like that's that's all crumbling now. Gee, this bankruptcy would come after months of issues for the crypto lender. Genesis was the first. It was the biggest in the space, and it facilitated some of the loans and risk-taking linked to high-profile crypto blow-ups. In the past year or so, Genesis originated $131 billion in new loans last year. In November, it stopped lending after the fall of FTX. It said it was unable to meet customer withdrawals and laid off about half of its staff. I'm told Genesis had been scrambling for alternatives to raise, uh, raise cash to avoid bankruptcy. It's another headache for the Genesis parent company, DCG. That holding company also owns Grayscale. You might know that name from the publicly traded Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It was once seen as a proxy for buying Bitcoin. It used to trade at a premium. It now trades at about a 42% discount. And that discount has been narrowing and moving around a bit. Some traders are now speculating that the fund would need to be unwound 
in the face of the troubles uh, at the parent company that we've seen. The failure of Genesis may also mean more trouble for the Winklevoss twins. Their crypto exchange had about a billion dollars of client funds locked up at Genesis. They've accused the lender's parent company, DCG, that I mentioned, of fraud. And then they face class action lawsuits from their own clients. On top of all that, D, the SEC last week accused both Gemini and the Winklevoss exchange um, and Genesis of violating securities laws. Given Genesis, given Gemini, as you mentioned, it's very easy for Jamie Dimon and others to double down on those calls about Bitcoin. Um, but that, like I kind of alluded to, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're completely bearish on the space. A lot of the big banks yeah. are still looking at blockchain. Oh, they're not at all. It's interesting. JP Morgan has this Onyx blockchain division they've hired from other crypto companies. They're one of the biggest players in what you would call a private blockchain. They've invested a lot in that technology and space. So while Jamie Dimon might say Bitcoin itself or the cryptocurrency might be a pet rock, as he's called it, among other things, uh, they have absolutely dedicated their time and resources right. and money. The other thing is this may be an opportunity for the banks. Someone like Goldman Sachs, if Genesis is now Gets out of the talent. market, people are now looking to the banks, the more institutional players, which is ironic that right. this whole industry was built on the opposite idea. But it could be an opportunity. Okay. Yeah, everything comes full circle. I also remember JPM coin, by the way. <laughs> it's been a minute. That was a while. <laughs> no. Kate, thank you. Up next, we will hear from the Qualcomm chairman. He weighs in on IT spending and enterprise demand. Plus, we always say this, do not forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast because we mean it. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. thing before we go. Global spending on enterprise tech devices took a more than 10% hit in 2022. According to Gartner, you can blame economic uncertainty that continues this year. In a Fort Knox update yesterday, I spoke with Qualcomm chairman and former Palo Alto Network CEO Mark McLaughlin, who just joined the board of security startup Rubrik. He said companies will have to keep spending on cyber and a tech M&A boom is ahead. The companies are, um, you know, they're watching the, the pocketbook right now. And if that has um, reduced uh, spend in the IT department, particularly as it comes to security, well, you can be sure that the, the bad actors are going to take advantage of that. And, you know, what I've seen in security is that, um, you know, it's very resilient from a spend perspective. So it, I think it's in these kind of markets. This is when you get to find out if you're a uh, must-have, you know, a technology or a nice-to-have technology, right? And security makes that cut. You know, people, I don't think, are going to crimp on the, on the security budget line. You can watch the entire interview on our show LinkedIn page, CNBC Tech Check. Carl McLaughlin calling for steady discipline and patience this year. Uh, it's going to be key. I'm still uh, shaking my head, D, after Breyer's comments about sort of the uh, the reckoning that tech is in for. If you take Nadella's I'm comments out of Microsoft and, and translate that into what it means for smaller firms. I'm so glad you bring that up. That's right. Nadella and Breyer, maybe the contrary, and showing that there's not a lot of consensus in this market, Carl. Yeah. Meantime, SP, uh, the S&P uh, below the 50-day moving average for the first time since January 10th. Of course, Netflix tonight is going to be mega cap tech's er a turn in the earnings spotlight. Busy day and it will be a busy afternoon. Let's get to the judge in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. 
NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.